0: This is a podcast by The Straits Times.
1: This is Audrey from The Straits Times and I am now in Katowice, Poland to cover COP24, the climate change event of the year. Today I have with me Garfield Kwan, a PhD candidate in marine biology from the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in the United States, Eric a a fourth year student from the National University of Singapore's Law Faculty, and Liana Yamin, who is with the Malaysian Youth Delegation, a Malaysian NGO working on climate change issues. The role of young people in climate change has been highlighted in this year's event and today we are here to listen from these three people from different countries about what they think the role of the young person is in the climate change fight.
0: Actually, this journey of mine started in a very different place. I actually came from a position where I did not really believe that humans were the proximate cause of climate change. It was not until I entered law school and I met uh, Prof. Irene Lai, who actually ditched a career at a very prestigious law firm to teach environment law in NUS. That I realized that the environment was something we're fighting for and that it is also something that humans really cause. So truth... I have been on quite a journey in the past two years, becoming the Vice President of the Environmental Law Student Association at NUS, and now advising the new president. So from here, I think I have really changed my position on this. And I am now very much involved in the fight for climate action because this is really the only earth we have. And I believe that this earth will survive. But whether we as humans survive is still up for question, depending on what actions we take now here in Katowice.
1: So Garfield, I mean, as a marine biologist PhD candidate, can you tell us a bit more about your interest in climate change, and I mean, how your your field of study is related to climate change?
2: Sure. So, as you know, the ocean is a big has a big role in mitigating climate change. Um, it absorbs a lot of the heat from the ocean. It is responsible for keeping our extreme weather, dampening our extreme weather events. So, there's a lot of just crossover between climate change and the ocean. But it's more so than just um, our livelihood. It affects our seafood. I I love seafood. I eat uh, all kinds of seafood, more more than I like to admit. And more so than just what I like, there's actually one in seven people on Earth that depend on the ocean for their source of protein. So clearly, there is a need to study more and to understand how future climate change would affect our seafood. And it doesn't look good right now at the moment. With ocean warming, decrease in uh, ocean pH, which means increase in acidity, as well as decrease in oxygen solubility, meaning there is less maximum oxygen in the water. All three of these parameters are negative consequences in terms of biological life. No matter if you're fish or you're shellfish or you are a crab or you are a coral, all of these are stressors that are going to affect our seafood. They might move, if you're in a temperate region, you might see more tropical fish move up towards your area. If you're in a tropical region, you might see things dying, but there's also potential for adaptation, sure, but we also can't necessarily depend on that. In the poles, you won't be seeing the poles much longer. That's the unfortunate fact of our uh, generation. and something that motivates me to study more seafood and human interaction and physiology.
1: Thank you Gabriel. So I mean seafood is definitely something that everyone around the world can understand. So Diana, I mean like in Malaysia, it seems that as in MYD is quite active in promoting the climate change message, can you share with us more about your personal interest in climate change?
3: Okay, thank you Audrey the thing is me being an urban city girl I've always been affected with the prolonged heat wave and also the absence of water at some time in Selangor if you've heard about it so it has really uh, impacted me severely because imagine if there's no water and how do you clean up yourself and also cook and whatsoever and me as a person who loves to volunteer I found MYD as one of the best platform to actually contribute and be active in climate change and I see that MYD has actually allowed me to be active in climate action and also this being my first cop here, I was happily participating
1: in so many actions here. Okay so can you share with us more about like what MYD does as an organization I mean like during this cop so far we have seen a lot of youth activism whether it be Greta Thunberg the Swedish teen who actually skipped school earlier this year to protest her to protest the government's actions against climate change and we have also seen students around the world learning from her and also skipping school to protest for climate change so what is the actions that MYD is doing in Malaysia to you know promote the climate agenda in Malaysia Okay,
3: so we have been really active in spreading the awareness, educating the people. We actually do training series twice a month with funding of WWF. So we managed to actually invite experts in climate change and share to the public about climate-related issues. And apart from that, we also have good relationship with our ministers. So our recent engagement with them was a capacity building workshop where we managed to share our stance on Malaysian position at COP24.
1: Okay, so it seems like there's a lot of focus on communicating the message. And Garfield, you are an expert communicator, right? Can you share with us more about your work with SquidTunes?
2: I wouldn't say expert, but (laughs) I try. So SquidTunes was started, it was born out of the frustration I had with the political environment. It was created around the time when wasteful science funding was brought up as a term, as a political. It was brought up when a senator from Oklahoma thought some of the physiology experiments were wasteful science fundings. So SquidTunes is a platform to share peer-reviewed science in an approachable yet accurate manner. So everything from the drawings as well as the words have been peer-reviewed by relevant experts, uh, meaning it has been checked and fact-checked multiple times before it even reaches the online platform. And since then, it's been used to uh, be... It was placed in textbooks, in a standalone book, as well as in an aquarium exhibit. So that is just my method of communicating the research around me in an approachable manner without losing the accuracy that I so much believe in.
1: So, I mean, with your experience with communicating science concepts, how do you think climate change can be better communicated or should be better communicated?
2: There's a couple things that come up to my mind. First, it's just accuracy, as I mentioned earlier. If you're a barber, you are judged by the way you cut your hair, right? And if you're a scientist, you're judged by the research you do, the rigorous, the accuracy, and whatnot. But if you're a science communicator, you're no longer just judged by the way you communicate, but you're also judged by the way you communicate science, which is an evidence-based, accurate field. So if you're a science communicator, you need to also be held to that same criteria. You need to communicate the science in an accurate manner. But being a communicator, you also need to make it approachable and understandable. So that is in basis how how much more difficult it is, how difficult it is to just be a science communicator. It can't just be, I am writing a report on science. It has to be, I'm writing a report on science at the tenacity and at the level that scientists would vet their own work.
1: So Eric, earlier you were also mentioning that you were on the Committee for Environmental Law Student Association. So how does climate change feature in your work?
0: Climate change is actually one of the two big fields of environmental law right now. And if you look at what's happening in other places in the world, there are a lot of climate litigation where the people are actually suing their own governments for not taking enough climate action. In Singapore, we don't see that partially because the Singapore government has been quite active in taking climate action. So we, we don't really have the need to take that kind of drastic action in Singapore. We should also note that Singapore as a party to the UNFCCC, Kyoto Protocol and the Paris Agreement is also bound by international climate law to be really ambitious in climate action to really lead the way as one of the more... Develop developing countries In the climate change system So for us It is more about Ensuring that The policies That Singapore government Put forward They actually uphold The spirit of the Paris Agreement In which every country Will do its best To bring the earth's warming To under 1.5 degrees Celsius
1: So hearing from All three of you It seems that Young people today Are very active In terms of Promoting climate action In various ways Whether it be um, Through science Through communication and like through, through an actual professional framework. So what would your advice be to individual young people then in terms of getting them to take climate action? When I interviewed Greta, she told me that you know, the younger generation is often overlooked and underrated. So do you agree and how do you think young people can change the world? I think it
3: would be a personal initiative at first and of course we ourselves should help to expose to our grassroots movement. Sometimes like me personally, I'm lucky to be in the urban area and People at the rural area are not really exposed on this and I think it is our mission to actually help spread the message and to help them know that they are also important. And in the end, it is up to us to get more knowledge to share to other people.
0: Personally, I actually think that I have been quite positively surprised by the amount of youth involvement in the Year of Climate Action. We have already seen um, the guard heroes and strawberries Free Singapore which are both led by one young person who has the initiative and the passion to do something for the environment. So I would actually like to challenge everyone who's listening to this, just think about one thing about the environment that you really care about and to just speak to your friends, do it in a very accommodating, but also in a way that really brings together people to understand the issues that we face today and to galvanize a movement. It can be as simple as just putting up some thoughts on your Facebook page or it could be as big as starting a a Movement A petition. So everyone has their own way of taking climate action. So I would just like to encourage everyone to
2: do your bit. So I would advise and just recommend that if you're upset about something, you should do something about it. It goes nowhere when all you're doing is just complaining about what's going on in the world. You can keep complaining, but just do something about it. Whether it be suing the government or picking up the trash or just drawing comics and making a podcast. It doesn't really matter what you do as long as you're communicating and you're expressing your frustration and trying to do something about it. Because at the end of the day, if the government's not representing you, it's up to us to do something about it. That was an SPH podcast. Find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts and streaming on Google Home. Do send your feedback to podcasts at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at straightstimes.com and bt.sg.